The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me. We are back in the book of Genesis now. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 37. I don't want to make you a couple of aware of a couple of things in way of announcement. This Wednesday night is our first and foremost corporate prayer. I sincerely believe the result that we're seeing in people come to Christ, those walking in relational discipleship in Christ, is a result of us placing that first and foremost, the first Wednesday of the night. We come together corporately to pray, to intercede, and seek God for His work. Listen, if we want to see things happen, it's got to be things that only God can do that we cannot do. Amen? So be here this Wednesday night, 6 p.m., for our time of corporate prayer. Next Saturday, we are going to be assisting Nueva Vida, our Spanish congregation, in an outreach that they will be doing in, uh, at Bella Vista, which is a little Mexican restaurant across Interstate 20 here, and they just need some helping hands. Uh, we're on um, Latino time that next Saturday. So I tried to nail Pastor Adrian down to what time do we need to be there, and he said, oh, you know, uh, three, four, so come and be willing to serve in whatever way you can serve. There's a sign-up table to my left in the lobby if you want to sign up to help in any one of those areas, and we'll send you out an email this week giving you more specific details to that. Um, we're looking at Genesis chapter 37 this morning, and um, I, I, I put a title to the message this morning uh, making reference to jealousy um, Ronnie, put that slide up there for me because I can't remember my title. Jealousy, resentment, anger, and revenge. And we are going to see all of that in chapter 37 of Genesis. How many of you knew that the Word of God contains some soap opera dialogue and drama? We're going to see it. This is better than the days of our lives. I promise you that. I just dated myself. I'm not even sure if that's still on. But it's full of it, and we see the result in, in these brothers' lives with their brother Joseph uh, being seated in jealousy, resentment, anger, and desiring revenge. And can I tell you that every single one of us in this room deals with the emotion of jealousy? Can I get a hand of amen to that? There's not a one of us in here that do not have that emotion, that feeling of jealousy that can come up at times. So we're going to talk more about the specifics of that as we get into the message. There's an idiom that we use in our culture. I'm not sure that it's used as much today as it once was, but it's called the green-eyed monster. That idiom relates to jealousy and envy, and I'm not sure the origins of that idiom, but if you can imagine a green-eyed monster just waiting to leap and to take advantage of another in that. You see, jealous can, jealousy, I've seen in my life, I've experienced in my own life, I've seen it in others' lives, I certainly see it in Scripture, but jealousy can, lead, uh, can sometimes lead to the nicest, sweetest person to do some of the most unthinkable things that you would never imagine that they would do. It's something that everyone of us deals with. It's an emotion. 
I, I've seen instances where an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend or an ex-husband or an ex-wife comes, comes up and the other one can be so incited with jealousy that they may do things that are unthinkable or against their character. I've seen individuals where after working with a company for a time, a younger guy or gal comes in and they're blowing and going and they get a promotion over the one who has been with the company there for some time. And because of jealousy, there's this coming against the other individual when certainly they've gotten a devotion, a promotion on their merits rather than jealousy is a wicked thing. Uh, seen, we, we, we're a thespian family. Well, they are, I'm not. And I've seen all kinds of jealousy creep up, creep up, especially in moms sometimes when their precious daughter who can't sing on key doesn't get the lead role. I've seen kids, boys that, that can't catch a baseball and Parents get jealous because another kid has been elevated over them and they do all manners of things. I've even seen in the church, oh, oh, now I'm going to meddle. I've seen it in the church where there are those maybe who get selected to do a, a solo song or be on the praise team where someone else maybe not have the same skills and, and they get jealous. I can remember years ago when I was a worship leader, there were two ladies that used to sing on the worship team with us and I had to make sure that I scheduled both of them the same week to sing on the team because if I didn't, I would catch all kinds of mess from the other one that wasn't asked to sing as well. Can you imagine that? Wait a minute. Let's get this picture in our mind. Our singing is what to God? Do you see the irony in that? You see, the the question is not whether or not we are going to have feelings of jealousy. Jealousy is not a sin. It's an emotion, but it's what we do with our jealousy often determines whether or not it becomes sin or not. And so let's look at this narrative story with Joseph and his brothers. I'm going to read through and make some comments through this story. And then I want to share with you in conclusion seven things that that I see that, that can help us when we face this emotion of jealousy because we will face it and how we're to deal with it in light of what Christ has done in our lives through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Picking up in verse 1, Jacob... And we know Jacob was the son of Isaac. We've we've been through the accounts here. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. If you remember, Joseph was the firstborn to Rachel. Rachel, the wife that, that Jacob loved and the one that he labored for 14 years to have. The first son of Rachel was Joseph, and, and Scripture's making no apology for it in that sense that, that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. There would have been 11 of 12 of them. Perhaps Benjamin was there or not. We don't know. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, uh, of them to their father. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully of him. So you picture the scene here. Jacob has his youngest, his, his son Joseph there. And while the other brothers are sent out to work to tend the flocks in the field, I can imagine that alone may have set up a little bit of resentment between the brothers, right? Any of you have a little brother, little sister, you thought you had to do everything and they didn't do anything? Can I amen to that? So he sends Joseph out. To, to check on the flocks, really to check on his brothers, to see the condition of his flocks. And Joseph comes back and he gives his father a bad report. In other words, there was something that wasn't going right with his brothers tending the flock. And Joseph comes back and we would say that Joseph came back and did what? Tattletailed. Now, we don't know Joseph's motives in this. The Bible doesn't tell us, and perhaps he was giving an accurate report to his father. But as a result of it, it says here that because he had done this, the brothers did what? They hated him, not only because he gave the report to his father, but they recognized that his father, and his father made no apologies for it, they recognized that his father loved Joseph more than he loved them. And in honor of his son Joseph, he makes him this beautiful coat. How many of you can picture the flannel graph when you were in children's church? Joseph in the coat of many colors. And we see he was given this coat, and, and he actually wore that coat out there in the field with his brothers. It goes on to verse 5. He says, now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, we're going to see why they hated him anymore. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves or taking wheat and putting them in stacks in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now, we will see later that this was actually a prophetic dream that Joseph had had that God had given to him, and we'll get to the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, in a few weeks. But Joseph, whether it was naivety, I'm not sure, or whether or not it was a little arrogance, he shares his dream with his brothers. And can I put it in, in J-Mo vernacular? Hey, there's going to come a day when I'm going to rise above you. I'm going to be better than you. I know you hate me right now, but there's going to come a day when you're going to bow down and you're going to kiss my feet. I cannot imagine telling my older brothers that. Joseph did, though, and they hated him even more. Then verse 9, then he dreamed another dream, again, a prophetic dream that God was giving to Joseph, preparing him for what would come in the future. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers, and he said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And, verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father's kept the saying in his mind. And, of course, we know this would come to pass. This would actually happen and take place. And so his father rebukes him. But then we see that Jacob, he kind of puts these things in his mind and he ponders them, perhaps recognizing that this young Joseph, 17 years old, had received a dream from God and perhaps there was a prophetic sense in that dream and he places in his mind. But what do his brothers do? Because of this second dream now, they are what? What's the word used there? Jealous, the green-eyed monster comes in. And we see the result that's going to unfold in this story. Verse 12, now his brothers went to pasture their, their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. Now, here Jacob does it again. Perhaps Jacob may have gotten wise, but on the other hand, perhaps Jacob was using his own son, Joseph, to spy on his brothers. And so he sends him out there again to where they're grazing the flock. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. You see, Jacob knew that the last time that he had sent Joseph out, that Joseph had come back and had given a report on his brothers, and he knew that he could depend on Jacob, Joseph to come back and give another report again. And it's really kind of sick when you think of it, right? And you know, we know that Jacob, his whole life, when we see back in the story, he's been a swindler his whole life. And he hasn't learned much yet, and we see the sin of the father now being manifest to his son and the sin being bred in, if you will, in his son, in his own son's life. Verse 12, uh, he says here, I'm verse 14. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers. Bring me the word. So he went, uh, so he sent him to the valley of Hebron. And he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked, what are you seeking? Evidently, Joseph's out. He's looking. He's trying to find where his brothers are. And another man spots him. He says, what are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brothers. And he said to him, tell me, please, where are they pasturing? Have you seen them? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. That's not Dothan, Alabama. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from far away. So here the brothers are. They, they spot Joseph coming. And my goodness, it wouldn't be hard to spot him because he's probably wearing that coat again. That thing that his father had given him to show him that he was his most favored father's son. They saw him come across. And at that point, it says they conspired against him to kill him. You see the progression here? First, there's this jealousy that seeds in the brother's heart. They're jealous because Joseph has favor with their father that they don't have. 
They're jealous because they recognize that Jacob loves Joseph more than he loves them. And I don't want anybody to raise any hand, but some of us may have grown up in a family where we knew that our mother or our father knew a, loved a sibling more than us, and we always felt a resentment and a jealousy towards that other person. Be careful lest you go down the same path in some way that Joseph's brothers came down. Can I tell you this morning, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that feeling, that emotion of jealousy and where it is seated can be broken this morning in your lives by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so they conspired to kill him. It's the same thing that we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 where Cain had made an offering to God that was not pleasing and and Abel made an offering that was more pleasing to God and God warned Cain, be careful, be careful, lest this jealousy in your heart manifest in some way else. And we see this all the way back. It's a condition of the sinfulness of man. The emotion is not the sinfulness of man, but what we do with that emotion of jealousy is whether or not it becomes sin. And so what do we know in that story? That Cain rose up and he slain his brother Abel. Now come, he says. Here comes that dreamer. Verse 20, come now, let us kill him and throw him into the one of the pits. So it goes from jealousy to a, to a sense of envy to hatred And now we see the manifestation of that. They wanted to revenge their feelings of jealousy and the hurt that they had experienced their whole life with their brother. Then he will say, then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, by the way, Reuben was the eldest son of of Jacob's other wife, Leah, So we see Reuben here. When Reuben heard of what their plans were, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of the hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben had good intentions here. Reuben at least was one of them that was thinking sensibly. Perhaps he had already learned the lesson earlier when they had, the the other brothers had learned that deception from their father, Jacob, and they went in and killed the Amorites and slew those, and they saw the result of that, and now they're about to commit it again, but to their own blood. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him off of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. The first thing they went after was what? The robe. Why? Because the robe was an outward symbol of the love that the father Jacob had for Joseph, and they resented that. And so they take the robe off, and they tear it up. You hear instances of of jealousy and rage sometimes where, where another may key another individual's car or they might smash their pictures. You, you can almost picture it, but in this case, it was the robe that Joseph was wearing. Then in verse 25, 
Then they sat down to eat. <laughs> Can you imagine that? All right, we threw him in the pit. Now we're going to sit down and have lunch, buddy. I mean, how, how morbid is this? You see the picture? And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Now, just a note of history. Remember, the Ishmaelites were the tribe that had come from Ishmael, where Abraham had taken his servant Hagar, and Ishmael was born. And the Ishmaelites, and later we're going to see him referred in verse 28 as the Midianites. There was always this constant tension that we'd see later play out. And the prophet Habakkuk pronounced God's judgment against the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. And so we, we see this. Now they're going to sell them to Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now, I don't think Jacob had a sudden, uh, excuse me, I don't think that Judah had a sudden revelation of it was going to be wrong to kill him. I think Judah sees the opportunity and realized they can make a profit off his brother. So he goes on to say, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, and they lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. And we are familiar with the story that goes on from there. But back to verse 29, he says, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers, and he said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Now, they take him and they throw him in a pit, they sell him, and what do we find them doing next? Covering up their sin, cloaked under deceit. Can I just give you a point of reference? Anytime we try to cover up a known sin through deceit, only bad things will happen. Can I say that again? Anytime we try to deceive ourselves or deceive others and, and cover over our own sin rather than dealing with it the way that God gives us to deal with our sin, and that's that if we confess our sins and God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, then there's good that comes from that, but we're so driven by our flesh oftentimes that we try to cover our sin. Did you use my dish towel to wipe your dirty hands again? No. See, it's deceit. We try to cover up. We laugh about those little things like that. At the root of that is a heart. It's not right. So they tell their father, is this his coat? Please identify your son's robe. And, and Jacob, of course, identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment and put sackcloth on his joints, and he mourned for his son many days. All the sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, 
No, I shall go down to Sheol. I shall go down to my grave mourning for my son. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. As I've always already stated that, that this emotion of jealousy that that we will and oftentimes find ourselves confronted with. Let me make the point again, that, that our emotions, whether it be an emotion of jealousy, an emotion of anger, an emotion of hurt, all of these things, we cannot control them. We cannot control when they come. They're a part of our makeup. But what we do with those emotions determines whether or not we glorify God or whether or not we sin in our emotions. So seven things to help us deal with feelings of jealousy, resentment, anger, and revenge. And I am, I would, if I were a gambling man, I would place a bet on it today that there are a number of people in this room just this very day that are dealing with this emotion of jealousy and trying to determine how to respond in it. Some of us are responding in the right way of giving that to God and recognizing the potential of that emotion and where it can take us, and others are living in their jealousy. They're bound up by it. They're enslaved by it. There's envy, and there's bitterness, and there's rage, and there's anger. But I want to tell you again today, Jesus can break that in your life today. Number one is this. Realize that feelings or emotions are not sin. Again, what we do with those determines the outcome. We can control them, and I would say for the believer, we can submit them to the Holy Spirit of God and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me deal with this emotion in the right way, in the godly way, so that I do not sin against you and I do not sin against others. We can perhaps understand why Joseph's brothers had these feelings against him, can't we? And we can look at it and rationalize, well, you know, I, I, I can understand. I mean, his dad messed all the other brothers up by affectionately showing outward and made no apologies for his greater love for Joseph than the other brothers. And so sometimes we can rationalize, if you will, those emotions, but what we cannot rationalize and we cannot confirm or affirm is what they did to their brother or what we might do to another when we have that emotion of jealousy well up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 26 with me briefly. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 26. Because you see, there is a way that, that now that we are believers, when one has trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit resides in our life, there is a way that when we are tempted in this area to do wrong with jealousy or envy, there is a way that we might escape this sin. There's no sin that has taken you except which is common to man. But God, with that sin, the Bible says, will give us a way of escape. And so Paul lays it out very clearly here in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 22, that we are to put off the old self. You see, my old self, I, I still dealt with that emotion of jealousy just like I do as I'm new in Christ, but in my old self, in those fleshly patterns, I would have done the same thing perhaps that Joseph's brothers did to him. Maybe not as severe, I don't know. 
But that was the way that the natural man responded in those situations. But he says to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, oftentimes we as believers don't do that. It's because we want to massage our sin. I know I do. Is there anybody else that likes to massage? Well, he or she hurt me and I have every right. Woe is me, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll go and eat some worms, so I'm just going to stay in this. And the Spirit of God says, no, put this off. This is a pattern of your old self, that old nature that was crucified with Christ and is now dead. You no longer have to be enslaved to that old man. Somebody say amen to that. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Anger is an emotion. Notice Paul doesn't say don't be angry because that's a sin. He says be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and that simply means deal with it at the first opportunity so that you may not give opportunity to the devil. Opportunity to the devil means that he can have a place in that, and in that bitterness, that resentment, he has fair ground to carry us wherever we'll allow him to carry us. But the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, I don't have to walk around resisting the devil, and neither do you. What I have to do, what we have to do is walk around around submitting ourselves to God. Notice there's a priority in that. I don't have to go around rebuking demons everywhere. Listen, my flesh is bad enough. I've got to first submit myself to God, you and I. We have to submit ourselves to God first. And in that, the enemy will flee. Because in him, in Christ, is a power to resist the temptation. Number two is this. Forgive those who wrong you. Forgive those who wrong you. We know that in Jesus' life, this was modeled throughout his whole earthly ministry that we have recorded in Scripture. To forgive. You remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times am I to forgive? And Jesus said to him, you're to forgive 70 times 7. That's 490 Jesus didn't say, okay, when you get to 490, you stop forgiving. What he meant was we continue to forgive. And I've said before, forgiveness, I understand it, is like an onion peel. I get to one layer, one layer's gone, and, and then I realize that hurt or that bitterness, that anger is still there, and I've got to release that person again. Well, the point in this is, is that we won't have those emotions or feelings come up again, but when they do, we submit them to God, and we trust the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to change our lives. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, forgive those, forgive, and you will be forgiven. You'll be restored back into fellowship with God. You see, it's impossible for us to have anger, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousies, envies against another person and to have right fellowship with God. Now, we, we can be in right relationship where we're born again, we're sons and daughters of God, and that transaction of being born again has taken place, that'll never, that'll never be undone. But my fellowship with God 
can be wrecked. Let's apply that in the home to our husbands, to our wives, to our sons, to our daughters. You see, where there's unforgiveness there and and there's a, a, a lack of willingness to forgive, we're deceiving ourselves to think that we're in great fellowship with God when we will not forgive others is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6. Remember Jesus on the cross? Now, if there is ever one who is scandalized it certainly was Jesus because what led him to the cross, those that placed him on the cross were full of jealousy and bitterness, resentment, anger. They wanted revenge. And they placed him on the cross and they crucified him. Well, what does Jesus say when he's there on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. My, what a high mark. Only in the power for you and I of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, I've learned that unforgiveness will affect not only my current relationships, my horizontal relationships, but if there's unforgiveness, it will affect my future relationships as well. I can't tell you how many men that I have spoken to through the years that there was an area in their fa- with their father that they had resentment towards their father and unforgiveness towards their father. And as a result of that, when they finally reach a breaking point, and Pastor Butch, you can testify to this, when they come in and they're, they're talking about problems today and you recognize the root is right back there. You've got a father, and maybe you're justified in wanting to not forgive him, but once you do, there's a breaking, and there's a, and there's a release, and there's a separation, and there's a freedom to that that changes, in effect, every other relationship in your life. See, only Jesus can change that. One of the things that we have to be aware of in our modern era is in this area of social media. I've had a number of people through the most recent years come and talk about instances with other individuals in their past where where they have hurt them and sometimes hurt them grossly, hurt them bad. And, And they'll find themselves searching on social media to see what that person has hurt them, what they're up to now. And every time they do, it stirs up all of these emotions again. Can I tell you something? It is okay to unfriend somebody. You know what I'm talking about. You do the Google search and you find and, and where maybe you've gotten to a point that you've been able to forgive or at least you're not, you're not racked with that unforgiveness. All of a sudden something comes up and you say, well, they shouldn't be enjoying life. Look what they did to me. It's kind of a sadistic thing when you think about it, that we want to massage our hurts. No, Jesus says, bring them to me. I'm the only healer that's able to heal you of these things. Bring them to me. You see, that's the world's way. It's not God's way. Number three, focus. What I mean by focus is not on others but on yourselves. You see, when these feelings of unforgiveness, resentment come up, I I find that I I tend to only have focus on the individual, perhaps, that has hurt me or offended me. Remember the story last week, Peter walking with Jesus in John chapter 21, and Peter hears John, and he says, Jesus, what about John? And Jesus says, I'm going to put it in JMO terms, hey, you don't worry about John. I got John. You just worry about yourself and keep your eyes on me. 
You see, when, when we're hurt, when there's unforgiveness, when there's offenses there, we have a tendency to look at other people rather than focusing in our own lives and our own heart. I heard a saying a long time ago that where there's smoke, there's got to be fire. Focus on your own walk with Jesus. You see, the enemy will use that to get you off track with him, with Jesus. He loves nothing more than to get getting believers off track with Jesus. And this is one of the key areas that can happen in our lives that we do that. Number four, introspection. And when I say introspection, I want to make sure I say godly introspection and not morbid introspection. You see, there's a sense sometimes that introspection can really just take us down a, a rabbit hole of, of guilt and depression, etc. But godly introspection. And it might be that we have to go before God and say, God, is there any justification in this? God, have I done anything that has fostered this with the other person? God... Am I sitting here with unforgiveness when I've done the very same thing to someone else in the past? See, a lot of us don't stop to think that. Once we recognize that perhaps we've done the same thing, then it's like, hey, who am I to throw stones at the other person? Introspection. Look inside ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to show us. Number five, don't deceive yourself. You see, we need to confess it to the Lord and others. Just this last week, David and I are having a conversation. I went to David Hammonds and I said, David, I want you to know I'm still dealing with resentment with this individual. And David said, oh, man, that's a guy. I'm, you know, I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I just gotta, I've got to be accountable to somebody else because I don't like this feeling of resentment. I don't like this feeling of being betrayed by this other person. David, I'm getting it out in the open. I'm not keeping it in the dark because I know if I keep it in the dark, the enemy has all manners of, of territory in my heart and my life, but i got to get it out there. Find somebody in your life, whether it's in a discipleship relationship, somebody that's not going to say, yeah, you know what, and I saw that in that person do, but somebody that's going to say, man, I love you, and I'm telling you, you need to get a handle on that, or it's going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. That's the kind of people we need in our lives in the body of Christ. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Number six and seven are very close, similar to each other, but, but let me conclude with this. Leave room for God's vengeance. If there's an event or a case or a situation where you have just been wrongly wrong, badly wrong by somebody else, leave room for God's vengeance. You see, the Bible tells us that, that it is His to avenge. It's His to repay. He is the only judge that is able to judge things in right ways. And can I, can I, can I offend some of you this morning? Give me okay on that. You are not the final arbitrator. You're not the final judge. 
You see, we see things skewed from our perspective and our, our feelings and our desires and our wants. James says that, that you do not get what you want because you fight and quarrel among yourselves. Leave room for God to have vengeance. He will make it right. He is the final judge and the final arbiter. Listen, <laughs> I want to come back in the same spirit. Just last week, I had an incident. Somebody's just chewing me up down the other side. And I want to say, wait a minute. And put some adjectives to that. But the Bible tells me to come in the opposite spirit. James says that we are to heap burning embers of love upon our enemy's head. You see, the flesh... Do any of you have this little flesh attorney that sits on your shoulder like, like I do? The, the moment somebody comes at you, you just want to bam. <laughs> and it can get personal. <laughs> just wants to defend me, defend me, defend me. Jesus says, no, come back in the opposite spirit. Once come at you in that way. Don't allow that stuff to seed in your heart, but come in the opposite spirit. Heap burning embers of love. Then lastly, view everything through your trust in God's sovereignty. We like to say that God is sovereign. It's one of our hallmark doctrines of our faith that we believe in a sovereign God. But it's often hard in these situations to trust the sovereignty of God in every single instance that takes place in my life. We know the truth of the verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purposes. We're going to see that later in Joseph's life, that God is going to work not only this, but God's going to work the other events that we're going to see unfold in Joseph's life. We have to trust the sovereign hand of God and recognize that, that when we face these trials of, of senses of being hurt, senses of being maligned, senses of, of desiring something that we don't have and, and jealousy, those are trials, man. And, but, but we know that, that God calls us, according to the book of James, to persevere through those things and allow perseverance to have its perfect work so that we might be perfect and complete in Him. These areas, the combat, if you will, of jealousy, resentment, revenge, and anger, deal with their feelings, recognize that they're just feelings. They're benign. What we do with them determines whether or not they become sin. Be, be willing to forgive those who wrong us. Have, have, the, have the right focus, focus on our own life, walk. And when I mean that, I don't mean be, be selfish. I mean focus on our walk with Jesus, not worrying about other folks' walk with Jesus. Have introspection in it. Don't deceive ourselves and act like we're in the right when we might be in the wrong. Leave room for God's vengeance. And lastly, trust in the sovereignty of God. I got some homework for you. Write this down. There will be a test on it next week.
I want to ask you to take some time this afternoon or in the coming week to meditate on this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you are not writing this down. You're going you're gonna to fail the test. All right. Let's see your hand if you're writing it down. Garrett, you're writing it down, buddy? All right, you got it. I'll see you there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And let's trust God to deal with us in our lives in these areas. It is just not worth getting caught and getting trapped in these emotions that sometimes, oftentimes, can lead to sin. Father, we love you. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.